and welcome to the Hearth and Hedge podcast. My name is Amberly, Mary Meet. And I am Margot, and we are very happy to have you here for our summer solstice special. Yeah. <laughs> uh, before we get started, Amberly, I have a question for you. Okay. What are you drinking? <laughs> <laughs> I am drinking Stella Rosa. Ooh. Which is a wine. Um, it's a very, very low alcohol content wine, which is good because then I can still be coherent. It's Stella Blueberry. Oh. Someone was offering wine tastings at my uh, grocery store the other day, and I was like, yeah, I'll try. And then I was like, I'm going to need that. Thanks. Nice. That's a great way to make a sale. <laughs> I know. They get me every fucking time, those little ladies <laughs> with their wine tastings. How about you, Margo? Uh, I am actually drinking some tea. It is uh, green tea. so Very nice. And it is so hot that I can't even go near it just yet, but it'll be good once it's cool enough for me. Awesome. Do you have anything cool that you're reading right now? Uh, I actually, well, besides uh, several books and several websites while I was researching for this, for this episode, I actually did just finish a book. It was a fiction book for a change. It was called A History of Wild Places by Shay Earnshaw. Oh, that's on my list. It was actually really good. So Shay Earnshaw has written a couple YA novels. They are um, The Wicked Deep and the winter wood mm -hmm. uh, and i liked them both very much and then i found out that she was releasing a novel that's specifically for a more adult audience and i got excited mm -hmm. and it's the history of wild thing uh i'm sorry the history of wild places so i just finished it last week it was really really good it has a lot of it's like a mystery i would get i would i would say it's a mystery not extremely suspenseful but very uh, bewildering and you just hmm. you just need to get to the end you need to figure out what the hell is going on with these people who seem to live in the middle of the woods completely detached from the rest of the world and why they're so afraid to leave and it's very interesting I liked it a lot nice that's awesome actually come to think of it like I while I was listening to you talk I realized that it's on my list because you told me about it oh <laughs> <laughs> well I, I still that recommend works. Uh, are you reading anything right now um, I am. I actually just got two new books sent to me by Bear and Company. Well, basically Simon and Schuster is is the uh, distributor for these two companies. Uh, Bear and Company is uh, out of Rochester, Vermont. Uh, this one is Activate Your Cosmic DNA. Mm. Uh, discover your starseed family, which I know we've been talking about that offline and how we may or may not feel about it. Um, <laughs> but discover your starseed starseed family from the Pleiades, Sirius, Andromeda, Centaurus, Epsilon, Erodney, and Lyra. That is by Eva Marquez. And then I got Embodying the Mystery, which is somatic wisdom for emotional, energetic, and spiritual awakening. Mm. Uh, this one is by Richard Strozzi Heckler. And I think this actually has a different publisher. Yeah, this one is from Inner Traditions. But that's also out of, I mean, it's the same publisher, but just like a different branch of it. Right. Interesting. Uh, yeah. Interesting. So I just got them. I'm going to check them out. It's so funny when it comes to all the uh, starseed talk going around lately, uh, because as a witch... Uh, a lot of the things that I do and believe would be considered by many to be what we call woo-woo. Mm -hmm. um, but then from my point of view, 
all the starseed business is so, 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 so woo-woo. <laughs> it's a little woo-woo. Yeah, it's a little more woo-woo than I than I often am here for. But that's okay. I mean, to each yeah. their own. To right. each their own. I just want to, I mean, I feel like not everyone is a starseed, but maybe they are. I don't know. Yeah, not everyone is a starseed, just like not everyone was Cleopatra in their past life. Wait, I was. Were you not? <laughs> Shit. Motherfuck. <laughs> All right. Well... <laughs> The summer solstice. Yeah, tell us about it. All right. Also called Letha or Midsummer by some is the longest day of the year, opposite the winter solstice, which brings us the longest night. During this brief time of year, the sun's energy is at its apex and the power of nature is at its height. It's a great time for merriment and celebration. So let's dig into it. The word solstice comes from the Latin sol for sun and stitium, meaning to stand still. And to ancient peoples, it may have indeed looked as if the sun was standing still in the sky and they would pray to various sun gods on this day. Some of these include the Greek Apollo, the Egyptian Ra, the Irish Lu, and the Celtic Belenos, just to name a few. So... In the Northern Hemisphere, the summer solstice occurs when the sun enters Cancer, which is approximately June 21st, but it can fall between the 20th and the 22nd. It is the celebration of the new season, the sun, fire, and the bounty of the land. So, as with what we did with the Beltane special, I'm going to be covering history and folklore, and then we'll move on to Amberly's segment on modern traditions and family traditions. Um, then I'll share some correspondences and some spells, followed by Amberly coming in with some recipes, and we'll share a tarot spread, and it's going to be a good one. So grab a beverage and settle in, folks. All right. History, mythology, and folklore. So, historically, the summer solstice has been observed in virtually every culture in the world at one point or another. So I have my work cut out for me on this history and folklore segment, but challenge accepted because although major cultural groups such as the Greeks, Romans, Celts, Norse, Aztecs, and Jews all celebrated the summer solstice in their own ways and with their own gods, there are several shared themes across the board. These include celebrations as solar or fire festivals, or both, celebrations of nature and the crops that have been growing and readying for harvest, and themes of fertility, as in the fertility of the earth, abundance, prosperity, success, and good fortune. As a fire festival, which is fitting for the days when the sun burns strong and hot overhead, bonfires were common in many cultures, as was dancing around the fire. For cultures who believed that they could commune with the fey folk, this is an in-between period of spring transitioning to summer. So this was considered a very favorable time for making contact, especially since the fey are said to be drawn to sweet-smelling flowers, honey, and nectar, all things that are readily available at this time of year. This is the tradition that Shakespeare supposedly drew his inspiration from for A Midsummer Night's Dream. So most pagans were agricultural peoples, life was dependent on the land, and most holidays centered around the growth and harvest cycle, whether it was planting seeds, tending crops, harvesting crops, or resting in winter's darkness. The summer solstice was especially joyful and celebratory because in most regions, it marked the end of the planting season and the beginning of the earliest harvests. In this liminal space between planting and tending and then eventually harvesting, people could take a breath and enjoy, celebrate, and show gratitude for the fruits of their labor. 
you can see how you can apply this to your own life, even though you are not, you know, an agricultural being. You could look at the things that you've been working out, working on throughout the year and show some gratitude and celebrate the results that you've seen. Find out where you need to still do some work, what you need to shed and keep on moving forward. But, you know, bask in the light of the fruits of your labor for a little while. All right, so a little more mythology and ancient history associated with Midsummer. In ancient Greece, summer solstice was when the titan Prometheus was said to have given the gift of fire to humans, enabling them to create a functioning, civilized society. The goddess Athena, who was also considered to have some solar attributes, was also honored during this time with a holiday called <laughs> Panathenaea, Panathenaea, when people prayed to her to bring rain to the crops. In ancient Rome, midsummer was considered sacred to Juno, the Roman equivalent to Hera, wife of Zeus, who in Roman times would be called Jupiter, the king of the gods. Juno was the goddess of marriage, which was one of the reasons why June, the month named after her, or named in her honor, has always been a popular time to get married. The goddess Vesta, who ruled over the hearth fires and the home, was celebrated primarily by married women with a festival called Vestalia. In ancient China, summer solstice was considered a yin, or female holiday, while its opposite, the winter solstice, was considered to be a yang, or male holiday. Celebrations then centered around fertility and the earth's renewal. Smoke from burned offerings were said to carry their prayers into the heavens. I always find that very interesting because as a pagan on the Western hemisphere, um, I always associate uh, feminine attributes with like the darker side the darker mm -hmm. and then those more masculine attributes, the lighter side, you know, the sun, all that. Right. So it's right. very interesting to see the differences. Yeah. Okay, so for the Saxons, Norse, and Germanic peoples, midsummer was actually the midpoint in the year because their year began with the winter solstice. And there is some thought that the word Letha, who some people still refer to as the solstice, may have originated as the Saxon uh, word for the month of June, meaning light or moon. And while Gerald Gardner may have adopted it as the name for the Sabbath in the Wiccan Wheel of the Year, it was actually more greatly popularized after J.R.R. Tolkien used it as a name for a midsummer festival in the Lord of the Rings trilogy. So many Saxons celebrated Thor, the god of thunder, because he brought much needed rain. Germanic tribes celebrated the sun's strength with huge bonfires. Side note, after the Christians came through, this holiday was adopted into the Feast of St. John, or Johannesnacht. In Finland, the solstice is also called Johannes and is a major celebration of light after many months of darkness. The Vikings would designate Midsummer as a time to deal with disputes and legal matters, as well as make pilgrimages to sacred wells and also build huge bonfires. In Iceland, some of these traditions are still upheld. So the Celts and Druids. So it's difficult to say what these folks were up to uh, with a whole lot of authority because they didn't write things down. So what we know about them is mostly from archaeological evidence but it is widely believed that they celebrated the summer solstice as a marriage of the earth and sky. They gathered sacred herbs, including mistletoe berries. We know the Druids had a very close relationship with mistletoe to be used later for healing and magical works. And their sacred tree, which was the oak, would be burned in midsummer fires. They also crowned an oak king. 
The Celts are believed to have used the great light and energy of the sun to banish evil spirits, and they also lit bonfires and sent burning wheels down hills, which was probably a bit disastrous, but also just looks hilarious in my mind. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so couples would jump through the flames for luck, and the higher they jumped, the higher it was believed the crops would grow. Uh, have you ever seen anybody jump higher than a tall, full-grown corn stalk? <laughs> no. Honestly, I have corn growing in my yard right now, and there's no fucking way. Like, <laughs> yeah. It's just, like, real high. <laughs> yeah. That's what I thought. Oh, well. It's just uh, for luck, I suppose. Uh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, in ancient Gaul, Midsummer was called the Feast of Epona and honored the goddess of fertility, agriculture, and horses. In Portugal, it was believed that water possessed healing powers on St. John's Eve. In the Americas, midsummer celebrations were very common among Native Americans. The Hopi of Arizona held dances featuring kachinas, or masked dancers, who represented the spirits of fertility and rain and could also take messages to the gods. The Sioux and the Natchez would perform ceremonial sun dances, and many of these traditions continue to this day. In the region where I live, the Lenai Lenape people called summer solstice Kitschinipin, which was a time for tending gardens. It was followed by the time of corn planting and preceded the time of the honeybee, which also has a name, but I will not butcher it with my horrible pronunciation. But their way of allowing the sun, moon, and natural events to dictate their spiral calendar always makes me wonder why the rest of us have to be so detached from the natural flow of things. Right. Anyway, finally, in ancient Kemet, which is today referred to as Egypt, the summer solstice was one of the most important days of the year. Because when the sun was at its highest, it meant that the Nile River would begin to rise as well. And this rising of the Nile River meant that the coming floods would feed and nourish the crops of the Nile Valley and feed the community as well. It was a day of hope and gratitude and of rebirth, the rebirth of the community and the signs of fertility and abundance. So now we come to Wiccan lore. Uh, in Wiccan lore, it's the time when the solar god's power is at its greatest. So in the natural order, his power must now decrease. Having impregnated the goddess, who then transforms into the Earth Mother. In some neo pagan traditions, this is when the Holly King once again battles his lighter aspect, the Oak King, this time vanquishing him. In fact, ancient Celtic tradition designated June as the month of the Oak, a tree that represents strength and vitality. This also harkens back to that neo-pagan mythos of the biannual battle for supremacy between the Oak King, who wins and rules from the winter solstice to the summer solstice, and the Holly King, who is the ruler from summer solstice until Yule. Some of you may be familiar with Starhawk of the Reclaiming Tradition and her book, The Spiral Dance. In it, she writes about summer solstice. It's a great book. Yes. So she writes, Now, on this longest day... Light triumphs, and yet begins the decline into the dark. The Sun King, grown, embraces the Queen of Summer in the love that is death, because it is so complete that all dissolves into the single song of ecstasy that moves the worlds. So the Lord of Light dies to himself and sets sail across the dark seas of time, searching for the Isle of Light that is rebirth. Very nice. Yeah. 
Starhawk was always great at saying things. Yeah, <laughs> definitely. All right. Is it my turn? Yep. What do you got for us? So <laughs> I'm going to talk about actually a tradition out of Poland. Okay. Um, it's called, and excuse me, <laughs> because it's Polish. <laughs> it's called Kupalnoczka. Pretty good. Pretty good. Or Kupala Night, the festival of sacred fire and sacred water. It's compared loosely to the current Valentine's Day. Um, so it was celebrating love. Nice. It was celebrated June 20, 21, and 22. Kupalnoczka is a Slavonic celebration of midsummer. It comes from the Slavic word for to bathe. And it celebrated fire and water or masculine and feminine. The people would sing songs about love and romance and marriage. They would dance around the fire. Like, you know, we all like to do at midsummer, dancing around the bonfire. Mm -hmm. They celebrated symbols of passion. Women would bathe naked in the rivers and lakes or roll down dewy grass hills to enhance their beauty. And it would be, you know, the morning of midsummer, right? Right. Roll in the dew of midsummer and you will become more beautiful. Similar to Beltane. Yes. Yes, very much. Young women would make wreaths with herbs and flowers that had certain uh, attributes that they wanted in their husband, and they would release them into the water for young men to catch, which I think is super cute. Yeah, that is cute. I like that a lot. Yeah. So I didn't say much more about that, but I'm going to segue from that into a couple of things that you can do with your kiddos. Things to do with the family on Midsummer are obviously have a bonfire. Everybody loves a good bonfire. Um, s'mores make it fun for younger kids and older kids. Actually, I had a bonfire the other night and I did not buy some more stuff and I got a deep doo-doo. <laughs> uh, <laughs> my kids were not impressed. Um, they were like, we're just going to sit around the fire. Good. But it's okay. We still have fun. Um, but so things you can do are the bonfire. You can tend your garden because by now your garden should be pretty well established. So tend that with your family. Make yourself a really wonderful feast. While you're tending your garden, you can bless your crops or you can bless your house or your apartment or whatever you have, your home. Bless your home. Yes. Another great thing to do is make wreaths uh, and you can look up all kinds of great correspondences, I would tell you, but it would be a gajillion years long if I told you every correspondence of every herb and flower that you could put in your wreath. But make wreaths with your kids. I have some of them. Oh, good. Wonderful. I some, some of I have a list, but it's real, real long. So, <laughs> Or you could make flower crowns. Everybody loves a good flower crown. Or you could cook with your kids. So that brings it to the recipe that I have, which is fruit soup. Fruit soup. Sounds strange, but it actually sounds really good when I read it. So this is from uh, Llewellyn Sabbath Essentials, Midsummer. It is fruit soup number one. Melon Madness. Yep. <laughs> it says we rarely think to make soup from fruit, but there's nothing that celebrates summer better than a chilled fruit soup. As an added benefit, there is no cooking when it's hot. Your ingredients are one mango peeled and sliced, one small melon, any kind except watermelon, seeded and cut small. I'm assuming because watermelon has so much water in it. Juice from one orange or about a quarter cup. One half to two teaspoons of sugar or honey, fresh raspberries, about a cup, two tablespoons of Grand Marnier or Chambord. Both of those oh. are optional. You can omit that if it's for having with your children. Um, 
Boo. And edible flowers to decorate the top of the soup. There are several different types of edible flowers off the top of my head. Calendula, pansies, nasturtiums. Dandelions. Dandelions. Thank you. There are lots. Uh, You're going to puree the mango, melon, and orange juice in a blender until smooth. You may need to do this in a few batches. Taste and sweeten slightly with sugar or honey if necessary. The soup should not be too sweet. Rinse your blender and then puree the raspberries and a small amount of sugar or honey. At this point, you can add the liqueur if desired. Then you're going to place the melon mixture and raspberries in a separate bowls and chill for at least two hours. Serve either in one large bowl or small individual bowls by placing melon soup in the bowl and then gently swirling the raspberry mixture on top and then you'll sprinkle with edible flowers and enjoy. That does sound actually delicious. It really does, doesn't it? Yeah. (laughs) There's another fruit soup number two, but you'll have to get the book to get it. Mm. It'd be really funny if the person who wrote the recipe just hates watermelon. And that's really the only reason they're like anything but watermelon. Anything but watermelon. Fuck watermelon. (laughs) You know what's really good to make with watermelon is if you cube your watermelon and you serve it with mint and feta and a a drizzle of balsamic, like reduced balsamic vinegar. That is delicious. Mm. I am one of those people that struggles a little bit with my sweet and savory. Mm. Like sometimes I get upset when there's fruit in the salad. (laughs) Okay. But I have I have been able to deal with pears and apples in salad. So, mm-hmm. you know, I'm almost there. I'm almost there. They're not ter- terribly sweet. So I can yeah. see. And b- both of my kids don't really like the sweet, savory thing. So I get it. A chocolate-covered pretzel, however, all day. All day I'll long. Eat. All day long. What about salted caramel? Yeah. Especially, you know, ice cream. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, should we jump into correspondences? Yeah, for sure. All right, so I actually have two different sets of correspondences because I came across correspondences for summer, and then I came across correspondences for the Sabbath, and there are some slight differences, so I'm just going to read them both off, and personally, I think that they both apply. So for summer, the element is fire, the suit in the tarot deck is wands, which is also representative of fire. The zodiac signs are Aries, Cancer, Gemini, Leo, and Virgo. So I'm guessing that these are both fire signs and signs that take place during summer. The direction is south and southwest. Plants and botanicals include corn, aloe, bramble, calendula, dill, fennel, heliotrope, honeysuckle, jasmine, lemon balm, lemongrass, marjoram, Raspberry, saffron, strawberry, sunflower. Gods include Apollo, Bilobog, Njord, Amun, Bastet, Kernunos, Hathor, Helios, Horus, Juno, Krishna, the Green Man, Kuan Yin, Lakshmi, Mithras, Poseidon, Ra, Sekhmet, Sana, Nvesta, just to name a few. Mythical creatures include the dragon, the phoenix, and the thunderbird. Minerals and gemstones include alexandrite, garnet, fire opal, ruby, spinel, and zircon. And themes and intentions include encouragement, friendship, growth, increase, life, light, love, 
marriage, nurturing, patience, protection, strength, and warmth. Now the correspondences for Letha, you'll see that there's just a few deviations here. Um, the planet or luminary is the sun. The element is also fire. Colors are blue, gold, green, and red. Trees, plants, and botanicals include beech, chamomile, elder, galangal, heather, heliotrope, holly, laurel, lavender, linden, mistletoe, oak, saffron, St. John's wort, sunflower, and vervain. The tarot cards associated with the Sabbath are the Empress, the Emperor, the Sun, and Strength. Zodiac signs are Gemini or Cancer, depending upon what day the Sabbath falls on. Gods, just to name a few, include Amaterasu, Apollo, Balder, the Dagda, the Green Man, Helios, Jupiter, Loki, Lu, Mithras, Phoebe, Ra, Surya, Thor, Zeus, and the triple goddess in her mother form. Mythical creatures include fairies. Minerals and gemstones include diamond, emerald, jade, lapis lazuli, and tiger's eye. And then the intentions and themes include agriculture, change, divination, endings, fertility, life, light, manifestation, power, purpose, strength, success, and unity. That's a lot. Yeah. <laughs> you have a lot to choose from. Yeah. If you can't find something there that you want to work with, I don't know what to tell you. Yeah. Just <laughs> go out and pick some grass. I don't know. It's been sitting <laughs> under the sun, so it's infused. That's funny. Um, so now I am going to share an invocation to Bridget and Bellinos. This is Celtic. Uh, it's a good invocation if you follow the Celtic Pantheon. And can be used if you wish to ask for healing and inspiration. This is also in the Llewellyn Sabbath Essentials for Midsummer. It goes, I call thee Bridget, triple goddess who rules over hearth and healing and inspiration. Share your gifts with me on this summer solstice day and guide me with your gentle wisdom. Let your light warm my soul and brighten my spirit, so mote it be. I call thee, Bellinos, god of the sun, whose powerful rays bring healing and strength. Share your gifts with me on this summer solstice day and empower me with your energy. Let your light warm my soul and brighten my spirit. So mote it be. Very nice. I like those. Yeah, there's invocations to other pantheons, but again, you'll have to get the book. It is a great book. It's, um, I, I really, I cannot recommend the Sabbath Essentials more. They really the whole series. Are, yeah. There's one for each Sabbath. So there's eight books and... Every one of them is great if you're a beginner or if you are not a beginner. They just, they're just great little books. Yeah. It's really, I love um, finding out how there are so many similar, similar themes throughout the entire world and throughout history for different celebrations. Uh, it's really like, even though we were not connected the way we are now, you know, by like the World Wide Web or whatnot. We somehow were still in flow with each other right. as far back as ancient times. I love yeah, that. Yeah, it's amazing. It's really amazing. Okay, so I actually went through some of my older books and I found three simple spells that I really liked. And I Great. couldn't decide, so I'm going to share them all. Awesome. So 
Um, the first one is for Midsummer's Eve. If you want to do something the night before, a lot of cultures actually did celebrate Midsummer's Eve, as as you know, hearkening back to when I was saying, I've been saying hearken a lot. I don't know where it came from, but I sound a, a little uh, a little silly. I can't Shakespeare. I can't, yeah, I can't stop. And I was hearkening back to Shakespeare. I was I was saying, just like I said, how he was inspired to write Midsummer Night's Dream. All right. Which so. is a good thing to do with your kids also. Watch yeah. a Midsummer Night's Dream. Yeah, I love that movie. Okay, so this is for Midsummer's Eve, and it's by Deborah Blake. Uh, most witches and pagans celebrate the summer solstice, but for some, the night before, known as Midsummer's Eve, is just as important. In certain European countries like Sweden and Finland, it is actually a national holiday. It is said to be a time of magic, mischief, and mystery. Tonight, as the sun goes down, light a bonfire or sit with a candle in the growing darkness and embrace the magic of the night. Open yourself up to the elemental powers of nature and, if you like, dance with the fairies under the moonlight. Drink a cup of mead or sparkling water and lift it to the sky and say... I am the cusp of the solstice. I am the mystery on the wind. I am the magic in the night. I am power made manifest on this midsummer's eve. And that is it for that one. The next one I have is a simple Letha wish spell. This one is by Thori Kalafia. So, the practice of floating a wish to the goddess in the form of a rose on a body of flowing water is a time-honored tradition and a nice way to celebrate the summer solstice in a simple yet powerful rite. To do this, choose a place in nature that has meaning and beauty for you. Take a rose for each wish that you would like to manifest. Other flowers are fine too if roses are not affordable or available and cast a simple circle at the edge of a lake, stream, river, or ocean. Hold each rose while visualizing your wish successfully and beautifully manifested. As you release the wish to the water, say, Now begins the season of fire. May I be blessed with my desire. Be sure to float one flower to the goddess with no wish attached to say thank you for her blessings. Okay, and the last one I have here is called All Hail the Sun. And this one is by Susan Pesnecker. The summer solstice is the year's longest day when we celebrate light and life and steal ourselves for the return of the dark half. In agricultural terms, it also represents the arrival of summer and the growing season. Rise early in the morning and enjoy a feast of sunny side up eggs, powerful little solar symbols. Dress in fiery colors of orange, red, and sun gold. Throughout the day, be aware of what is growing around you and feast abundantly on summer's first fruits and vegetables. A quiche, round like the sun, is a terrific way to celebrate summer's gifts. Be outdoors as much as possible. In the evening, kindle fire, whether in a fire pit in your yard or a candle in the living room. Reflect on the sun's gifts of light and life. Intoning. Thanks for gifts of summer sun, abundant food, and golden light. Feed our bodies and our souls and guide us through the coming night. I love all of those. Yeah. You see why I wasn't able to decide between them. I know. Yeah, they were all great. I'm going to share a little excerpt from The Hearth Witch's Year by Anna Franklin. She's the same uh, woman who wrote The Hearth Witch's Compendium, which are both I mean, they're both amazing books. Uh, This one is actually about Midsummer's Day 
slash St. John's Day. Ah. The date for celebrating the movable summer solstice became fixed on the day of St. John the Baptist, thus enabling the Catholic Church to associate many of the ancient summer solstice customs with his worship. The solstice fires became the fires of St. John, whom Jesus called a bright and shining light. The early Christians held a deliberate policy of transforming pagan celebrations into church occasions. Some of the representations of John are rather strange for a Christian saint. He is often depicted with horns, furry legs, and cloven hooves, Hmm. like a satyr or a woodwose. His shrines, too, are often of a rustic nature, ostensibly because John was fond of wandering in the wilderness. It is possible that John not only took over a pagan midsummer festival for his feast day, but also the attributes and shrines of an earlier green god. Other midsummer symbols accumulated around St. John, and he was made the patron of shepherds and beekeepers. I like that. It reminds me of the... I've heard this on several occasions, and I wish I could remember who to credit it with, but it reminds me of the comparison of Jesus Christ and John the Baptist to the Oak King and the Holly King. Mm, Jesus Christ being born on Christmas and the Oak King coming into power on the winter solstice. John the Baptist being celebrated on the summer solstice and the Holly King coming back into his power on the summer solstice. That is Uh, very interesting. Yeah. Very, very interesting. (laughs) (laughs) That's so interesting. I did not, I did not know that. Thank you for adding that in. Uh, So I have a tarot spread. You know, it's, I love me a good intricate tarot spread that makes me just sit at the table and stare at the cards until I go blind. But, you know, for simplicity's sake, because I'm describing it on a podcast, I found a three card spread that I think everybody might enjoy trying on the summer solstice. So lay out three cards. Your first card is what should I keep growing? You know, what you have you been working on throughout the year so far that looks like it's going to pan out and you should keep at it. What is that Mm -hmm. thing if you're unsure? The second card represents what is shining brightest for me now, very much like the sun on the summer solstice. What is that beacon of light in your life? If you, if it's not that clear to you, what is that? And the last card is what should I shed at this time? What is the thing that's gumming up the works? Where's the cog in the machine? You know, sometimes these things are difficult for us to pinpoint and the tarot really helps us to look inward and introspect and figure things out, lay it out for us, you know, just connect to our higher selves and get that advice that sometimes it's hard to do without. And speaking of the tarot, I always love to work with a single card representing a specific sabbat. Um, I I think that you could find a card in the tarot to represent many, many aspects of our life, especially in the major arcana. So uh, for Midsummer, I feel like, and it's pretty obvious, but I feel like the greatest representation in the tarot is the sun card. So mm-hmm. I want to just read about that real quickly. Uh, we celebrate the glory of the god at his peak strength and the pregnant goddess's promise of abundance. 
Although the goddess is, as always, important, this holiday focuses on the sun and consequently on the god, so the connection to the sun tarot card is an obvious one. The young child on the white horse, as shown in many traditional Rider White Smith tarot cards, symbolizes innocence, openness, and power. The red banner swirling from the sky to the earth reminds us that we are connected to the same vital life force that fuels all life, both physical and spiritual. Letha and the Sun card are both relatively simple, especially compared to the other holidays and their cards. The first fruits of summer are ripening. The atmosphere is languid but expectant. Uh, Meditate on the sun to enhance enjoyment of the sweetness of nature a foreshadowing of the rich abundance to come. Relish the beauty and delight all around. The sun is warm, the fruit is sweet, and no one is in a rush. Everyday moments are dripping with pleasure. There is a feeling of success and accomplishment without stress or strife. Life is good simply because it is good. Aw, I love that. Yeah. I found it interesting that every time you say a thing, as I've listened to our podcasts, I, I either say, I love that, or that's awesome. <laughs> Me too. <laughs> I'll be editing and criticizing myself like, oh, such great commentary, Margo. I know, right? Another, I love that. <laughs> I love that. I love it. That's so great. That's, I love that. Maybe we should start. I don't know. That's lovely. <laughs> yeah. I'm going to make a list and just like post it on my laptop screen so I can say other things. That shit was fucking amazeballs. <laughs> fucking A. Oh, <laughs> uh, yeah. Okay. I'm glad you feel the same way because I just, every time I hear myself say, I love that, or that's amazing, or that's awesome, I'm like, oh, God. <laughs> Do I ever say anything else? I have the whole fucking English language and I have three phrases. I'm just going to start throwing really random shit at you. Like when you say something really profound, I'm going to be like, Swiss cheese. Fuck yes. (laughs) Havarti. (laughs) Is it all going to be cheese related? Maybe. Maybe. (laughs) I love that. Oh, God. Okay. Um, My final thing (laughs) that I have is about the Midsummer Wand. Ah. Uh, This is also from The Hearth Witch's Year by Anna Franklin. I'm just going to read it because it's, there's, I'm not going to, because I'm going to read it. That's why. Do it. Okay. The most propitious time in the year to make a magic wand is at Midsummer. And whether you count this as the solstice or the calendar day, it is up to you. But for magical use, you should cut your own wand from living wood. Ask permission. Yeah, really. Uh, Go out before dawn on Midsummer Day and seek your chosen tree as the sun rises. The wood should be virgin. That is, of one year's growth only. And the wand should be cut from the tree at a single stroke. Oh. It should... It better be a weak tree for me. It should measure from elbow to fingertip. If you wish to, you can smooth and polish the wand with glass paper, but do not varnish it. Make a small hollow in the end that you will hold in your hand and insert a piece of cotton thread with a drop of your own blood into it before sealing it with wax. Wow. 
I mean, cheddar. <laughs> do you love that? I do, but you know what? <laughs> I'm just going to go out and find a stick on the ground. I just... <laughs> and I'll probably cut myself while bringing it home. So there's the blood. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean... That's impressive. It is impressive. Thread and blood and sealing wax. Cutting it with the one, one single stroke. One stroke. I guess if I used like a... Like a hatchet. hatchet. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what do you do? What, so what happens if you if you fail? And, and you just hurt the tree for no fucking reason. Exactly. <laughs> I'm still going to take it. I'm still going to use it and be like, well... This is it is mine, so it does make sense that it took a little extra work. So maybe you need two drops of blood at that point. Yeah. Okay. And apologize to the tree. Yeah. <laughs> Definitely. So my last uh, addition to this special is a uh, quick and easy recipe for an incense and an oil. If you uh, like to craft special incenses for special occasions and, and anointing oils as well, then this is for you. So for incense ingredients, you can use any of the following of these powdered or chipped pine wood, powdered or chipped sandalwood, white copal, dried bay laurel, cedar essential oil, carnation oil, cinnamon oil, and you can blend all those together and drop it over a charcoal disc. Uh, optionally, you can create a solid compound by mixing it all with vegetable glycerin uh, until it becomes kind of like a, almost like Play-Doh malleable clump. And then you, you know, kind of let that solidify for a good 24 hours and then you've got like a solid incense. But the other, without the vegetable glycerin, you could just sprinkle it on a, on a lit piece of charcoal and it works just as well. So for the oil, you could use any of this list of ingredients, cedar essential oil, carnation oil, cinnamon oil, a pinch of chamomile, a, a few tiers of white copal resin, hemp seed, and then a carrier oil like jojoba, almond, or grapeseed. And you just mix that in a small bottle, you know, shake it up. And I like to actually add a little Lemurian seed quartz to my oils. It promotes oneness with the aura, and I like it. I like it a lot. <laughs> so that, I believe, is everything for our summer solstice special. Wow, we did great. I think we did a great <laughs> job. <laughs> <laughs> My tea is finally not going to burn me. Ooh. Is it cold now? I feel like it would be cold now. No, it's warm. Ooh, it's warm. warm. Well, I managed to drink that entire bottle of Stella Rosa while we were working. That's, ugh, I was going to say that's awesome. And I, I actually really, really mean it. That's awesome. But <laughs> we just talked about that's awesome. I know. <laughs> I know. Good thing it's only 5% alcohol because I'd just be shit faced right now. Oh, wow. Yeah. That's why I'm like, it's a really low alcohol. So it's like drinking like three beers. I like that. I sometimes, uh, when I'm having wine, because I really prefer wine most of the time, but I want to hang for mm -hmm. a while, I will um, water down my wine with like a sparkling water yeah. beverage. 
And in theory, you are watering down the wine. But when you add the bubbles, it actually can carry the alcohol to your bloodstream faster with, huh. with the bubbles. So it can go either way. It's a total crapshoot. Either you're you're going to be cool and not as drunk as normal, or you're going to be a hot mess. Like, you know, when you drink champagne and you're like, I don't know what's wrong with me. It's because of the bubbles. So yeah. I don't know, give it a try or don't. Or don't. Drink responsibly. Don't. Every, everybody drink responsibly. Drink responsibly. That is the rule. That is the rule. Um, it's funny because my dogs will behave their whole fucking day. And then as soon as I am recording, I don't know if you can hear them. Yeah. Fucking losers. It sounds kind of cool. You know, it's, they're like, I know they're playing, but it sounds like snarling and like you've got a horde of demons in your mm-hmm. in your witch's cottage. That's about accurate. I do have a horde of demons in my witch's cottage. And also my dogs. <laughs> my demons are my demons are locked out of the room that I'm in right now. You guys, fuck off. Okay. <laughs> they listen so well. <laughs> All right. Well, uh, let's wrap this up. Uh, we certainly hope that we have given you some ideas and some information that you found interesting and some yeah. inspiration for this beautiful upcoming summer solstice celebration. For sure. And <laughs> oh my God, go away. Forrest. Roxanne, get under here. Come here, baby girl. He's, he's uh, celebrating the summer solstice. <laughs> He's celebrating hard. Hard. Lipstick out and everything. Um, Ugh. I know. <laughs> I know. I know. Our next episode. Oh, yeah. Next it's, week. Yeah, that's going to be a Torian tirade. The wine is going to be stronger than 5%. Or- it, it is. Yeah. <laughs> it is. So we're very excited. Uh, we're going to hang out and chit chat. And uh, we hope you really love this episode and can't wait to share that episode with you. And Jason Miller's episode is coming up after that. Is that the next one after? I believe that is the plan. Yeah. 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 Sounds awesome. All righty. All right. We'll see you next time. (laughs) See you next time. (laughs) I think it's much better when we just do it that way. Yeah. Because it never works the other way. I know. You can find us on Instagram and Facebook at The Hearth and Hedge, on our website, thehearthandhedge.com, or you can email us at thehearthandhedge at gmail.com. If you like what you hear, consider leaving a review wherever you get your podcasts. We also have a Patreon, which you can find at patreon.com slash thehearthandhedge. Sorry. That's <laughs> okay. Austin, words are really fucking hard, man. Yeah. Okay. His shrines, too, are often of, of russic fucking shit. <laughs> <It's> okay. <laughs> I'm giving you plenty of stuff to put at the end if you need we it. We got some bloopers. <laughs>